Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. We've been in a series since the beginning of the year, January 1, literally January 1, uh, called A New You. And the premise behind this entire series, very simply, is this, is that if you're in Christ, based on what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, you're a new creation. You don't hope to one day become a new creation. You are a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Everything has become new. The problem is we don't walk in the new us. We don't walk in the new me, walk in the new you. Rather, what we spend our time, energy, and attention on is the struggle, is the difficulty, rather than the reality. And so what ends up happening is we end up reverting back to the old patterns and old ways of living, even though we've been granted the freedom and the opportunity to live in a completely new direction. We've been made a completely new person. So throughout the course of this series, we've been talking about who God has created us to be, what it looks like in our lives, and how we pursue and attain that reality versus reverting back to the old us. And it's been a fantastic series. I've loved every minute of it. We've had some guests come in and share with us that have been phenomenal. And I'm so thankful for the kingdom partnership that these guys have offered to help us throughout the course of this series. But today we're wrapping this series up. And today I kind of feel like that I'm taking um, a wrecking ball to the entire conversation. We've spent um, about seven weeks building this house of a new you. And then I feel like I'm kind of wrecking it all today, but I'm wrecking it for a really, really good reason. And I feel like that once we come to the end of this conversation together today, you'll have a clear understanding that the goal isn't building the house. The goal is understanding that the house is only built when you take your eyes off the house. And some of you are going, well, I don't really understand what, trust me, you will by the time you walk out of here today. But today's going to be good. Today's going to be challenging. Today's going to be extremely helpful. But there's going to be a lot of meat, a lot of rich stuff for you to take in. And so if you're a note-taking person, I wanted you to get out your pen and your pad. If you're a phone person, pull out your notes on your phone or your tablet. Um, If you're not a note-taking person, if that's not really your bag, take notes anyway. Because secretly it offends me when you don't take notes because it's like what I'm saying doesn't really matter. And so take notes anyway. Um, If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be flipping through a couple different sections of the Bible today that I think will be really, really powerful and helpful for you. We're going to start in a book of the Bible um, known as 1 Kings. It's an Old Testament book of the Bible, 1 Kings. If you don't know where that's at, usually in every Bible there's a table of contents. So jump to the table of contents, you look where it's at, and then flip over and join us in 1 Kings. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free of charge as our gift to you. Because we want everybody studying God's word for themselves. We don't want anybody. We don't want anybody just assuming what I'm saying is right and assuming that, that I'm your, your pathway to the Lord. You got to know, you. the goal of our church is for you to have an intimate and real relationship with God outside of what happens on Sunday. I simply want to be an accessory or, or a, a help or a, um, a support system for the relationship with God that you already have. So if you don't have a Bible, please stop by and get one. If you do have a Bible, open it up to the book of 1 Kings. For those of you that didn't bring a Bible today, um, we'll take care of you. The verses are going to be on the screens for you for the sake of today's service. 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to read to you this morning two stories. 
And they're two stories that I have shied away from teaching. We've been in existence now as a church for two years. Prior to that, we were a campus of another church um, for about a year and a half. And in three and a half years of ministering in this context, I want to read to you two stories that I've never went to, to teach on and to preach on. And it's not because there's not substance in these stories. It's not because these stories aren't valuable and insanely important. It's because there's parts of these stories that have always made me uncomfortable and I've never been able to explain. And so rather than uh, dog in the section of the story that I don't like, because you guys know me, that's what I would do. I just steered clear and stayed away from the stories altogether. But God finally helped me make the connection in what he was doing in these stories, even in the parts that made me uncomfortable. This first story takes place in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's talking about a prophet of the Lord named Elijah. And in the Old Testament, the way that God spoke to his children, the children of Israel, wasn't necessarily through um, audible signs through the clouds. It wasn't um, through flashes of lightning and thunder necessarily. The primary way that God spoke to his people were through prophets. And one of those prophets' names was Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, it says this. It says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. First thing that made me uncomfortable. She's a widow. We're supposed to be taking care of her. The the prophet of God should be looking after her needs and what she needs and what's going on in her world. And instead, God says, no, I've directed her to take care of you. Super uncomfortable, right? So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, oh, and by the way, bring me, please, a piece of bread. Jerk, right? Shows up, sees a widow instead of offering to pray for her, love on her. He said, I need you to go give me some water. Oh, and by the way, while you're out, give me some bread too. And she says, As surely as the Lord your God lives. Basically, she's saying, God is my witness. I don't have any bread. I ain't trying to play you. I ain't trying to, to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be rude, but I just don't have it. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. Watch this. That we may eat it and die. This is a sick lady who doesn't plan on living much longer. She's busy making the last meal for her and her son. Prophet shows up and says, I want you to give me a piece of bread. She said, I don't have any bread. Matter of fact, I'm here gathering sticks to go home and mix together a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil so we can make our last meal and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. You go home and do as you have said. But first, <laughs> again, story makes me super uncomfortable. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour, it won't be used up. And the jug of oil, it won't run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. 
She went away and did as Elijah had told her to do. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. It's an amazing, miraculous story where God provides provision for this lady. But getting to the provision always made me really uncomfortable. And so I steered clear of the story. Second story I want to read to you is about Elijah's pro- pre- predecessor. Predecessor, no, that's not the right word. Protege, that's the word I was looking for. About Elijah's protege, Elisha, another prophet of the Lord. It takes place in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip on over there. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a story about Elijah's protege, Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 4 says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Your servant, a guy who ran with you guys, is my husband. He's dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Basically, there was this guy that was working in the, 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 the ministry company of Elisha. And he loved the Lord and he loved what Elisha was doing, but he died. And he died owing some money. He died owing some people for things that he had borrowed against. And when this lady saw Elisha, she made the assumption, creditor's coming. It's time to pay back what we owe. And Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me. And this is where I got uncomfortable. What you got in your house? (laughs) You ever seen those movies where somebody owes somebody else money and they don't have the money to pay them back? And so they say, all right, you got a TV on your wall? You got a couch in your living room? What you got to sell? Because we can make money off what you got. So he asked the question, what do you got in your house? Really, really insensitive question to a woman who says, I'm struggling, my husband just died. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Go ask for a lot of them. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your son's. And I want you to pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not another jar left in the whole community. We've asked all our friends, all our family. There is not another jar left to hold this oil. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Look what else happened. And then you and your sons can live on what is left. Beautiful story of a miracle taking place where provision is made possible in the life of this lady. But it starts really, really uncomfortable. It starts really weird because it's about the widow having to serve Elijah It's about this lady who's just lost her husband and is fearful for the creditor coming to take everything she has, which isn't much. And before she can receive her own blessing or her own miracle, she has to pay back the creditor. She has to serve Elisha, right? Miracles took place. 
but really uncomfortable asks in the beginning. Which leads me to a verse in the New Testament, which tied all this together for me. And it's a verse found in the book that we've been in throughout the course of this series, the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Now let's just pause right there. That's the new you. That's the new me. We've been rescued, redeemed, set free, given hope and purpose and meaning in our life in the midst of difficult and and, and unexplainable circumstances. And because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we have now been created into a new image, an image which bears the resemblance of God our Father. We are now God's handiwork that has been created in Christ Jesus to enjoy the blessings that he bestows upon us, to experience the miraculous every single day. Pause for just a second. Don't say amen to that because that's not what the verse says. You are not God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to enjoy the blessings of God. You are not God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to experience the miraculous in your life. We come to church and we say, what does God want to do in me? What does God want to say in me? How how can I repair and fix me? And we make church all about us, all all about me. We make this conversation about the new you all about you. And God's going, time out for just a second. I have made you a new creation. All the old things have passed away. All things have become new, but it's not for your sake. It's not just about you. I have created you in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God rescued you, God saved you, God redeemed you, God set you free from your past. God made you a new creation. And he did it for a very specific purpose. The purpose was to do good works. The whole reason that God showed up in these widows' lives through these prophets The whole reason that God sent Elijah and Elisha to them was so that they could do good works. The widow serves somebody else in the middle of her mess. The next lady serves somebody else in the middle of her mess. It's not about them, it's about somebody else. The whole reason God showed up in these people's lives through these prophets was so that they could do good works works, not so that they could receive good things. But watch this, pay very close attention because I know you're thinking, well, this is a total bummer. Like you're, you're raining on my parade here. Keep watching, keep listening. But when they began to do good works, that's when they began to experience good things. When they began to do good works, that's when they began to experience good good things. When they began to focus outside of themselves, that's when they themselves began to experience blessing in their life. 
the miraculous works of God in your life and in my life, the things that can't be explained, the things that can only be uh, given credit to is God himself, are the things which take place once we get outside of ourselves and stop focusing on us. God says, look, I want to do something in you. I want to do something through you. I've made you a new creation. But when you limit, when you limit the potential that I want to do in your life because you are so focused on you rather than the you beside you, rather than the people that I've placed in your sphere of influence, rather than looking at how you can serve God rather than what you can get from God, you miss out on the blessings of God. Could you imagine for just a second if one of these widows had said, Nah. Now I got my own junk going on, and God knows that. I got my own stuff to deal with, and God knows that. God knows my heart. God knows what's going on in my life. God sees my circumstances. If they had said that, they would have completely missed out on the blessing that God had for them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Once you recognize the new you isn't about you, that's when God actually starts making the new you into a new you. Really long, probably some serious grammatical errors, great theology. Write that down. It's once you recognize that the new you isn't about you, That's when God actually starts making the new you into a new you. God says, you put your focus, you put your effort, you put your time and energy into serving me and allowing Christ to work out his blessings in the lives of others through you. And that's when you start changing from the inside out. That's when you start being reshaped. Like we we, we walk into church and we hear messages that say, don't be selfish, don't be prideful. And so what do we do? We walk out and we try not to be selfish and not to be prideful. But you know what we inadvertently end up doing by Wednesday or Thursday of that same week? We end up acting selfish or prideful because you've made it about you. But if you go out and serve somebody else and give away what you have, rather than keeping what you have for your sake, God begins to do something in you. He begins to remove selfishness. When you begin to focus your time, energy, heart, and attention on uplifting somebody else's life rather than pleading at the feet of Jesus for him to uplift your life, all of a sudden God starts doing something. He starts removing pride from your life. When we begin to focus on those that God's placed in our path, when we begin to focus on those outside of ourselves, when we begin to realize that the new you isn't about you, that's when God actually begins to shape us into the new you. Does that make sense? Everything that we've talked about, everything that we've said throughout the course of this series has been about the characteristics of the new you. But you don't become the new you by trying really hard. You don't become the new you by saying, I'm going to do it and grit your teeth and, and make it happen. You become the new you by allowing God to shape the new you in you from the inside out when you focus your time and energy on serving others in his name. Because he didn't save you just for your sake. He saved you to use you for his purposes in the world. When you limit your focus to what's going on in you, you limit the transformation that God wants to do in and through you. I want you to think about something for just a second. 
There was this amazing thing that took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus shed his blood, died on a cross, was buried, three days later rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. Right before he ascended into heaven, he commissioned his disciples to go out and make disciples, make more disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to go and and, and change the world. And in early church history, we see the miraculous taking place. We see dead people getting up off the table. We see blind people seeing. We see lame people walking. We see people who couldn't speak before begin to speak. We saw all kinds of miraculous things take place in the lives of these disciples, they got to experience and see some of the most unbelievable acts of God in all of human history. But here's the deal. Their faith was strengthened. Their faith grew. They became revolutionaries for their faith. Not because they sat in a room and asked God, to revolutionize their faith. Not because they sat in a room and asked God to transform who they were. Not because they sat in a room and read a book and said, I want to get better. I want to grow closer. I want to go deeper. Lord, 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 shape me, mold me, make me, 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 me. Jesus said, go, make disciples. Okay, we're going to go and we're going to make disciples and we're going to heal the sick and we're going to raise the dead. We're going to focus our time, effort, and energy on other people. And in so doing, you know what God did? God strengthened the faith of a guy named Peter. God revolutionized the life of a guy named John. God transformed them by what they did for others. God created a new Peter. God worked in his heart and in his life, but it wasn't because Peter focused on Peter. It was because Peter focused on others. Because the central message of the gospel is transforming the you beside you. Making a difference in the life of the you beside you. Jesus said, you want to know how, how, you know how people are going to know that you're my disciples? It's how you love each other. It's how you love one another. Oh, okay, cool. As long as they're Christians, you got to love one another. Jesus said, okay, fine. If you didn't hear that, love your enemy. Love them too. We got to love everybody? Yeah, because that's kind of the point. When you begin to focus on other people, God transforms you. And then God can use you more to accomplish his purposes in the world. The disciples got to be a part of experiencing the miraculous once they recognized that it wasn't about them. They became recipients of an incredible blessing once they determined that they were going to be a blessing. You were God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Why? Because good works glorifies your father in heaven and when you glorify your father in heaven he begins to shape you from the inside out as most of you know uh, my wife and I just recently completed an international adoption and we have a new daughter in our family and um, the last week or so has been nothing short of amazing and interesting to say the very least Because once you bring somebody new into your family, you 
realize it's on you to help shape their worldview, to help train them, to help teach them. And when they don't share your worldview or they don't have the, the experience of being raised in your family, sometimes that's like this, right? Not to mention she's a teenager, and so it's just naturally going to be like this. For anybody who's ever raised a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. And so we kind of got dropped into the deep end of the pool here with uh, a teenage girl um, who doesn't speak her language, which for the record is kind of nice. For not the reasons that you're thinking, you evil, evil people. <laughs> it's kind of nice because um, it gives you a second to process what it is you're going to say. Like before you fly off the handle and just say something in response, you got to translate that mug. And when you got to think to translate what you're going to say, it causes you to pause and be careful with your words. The same thing happens with her. She has to stop and say, I'm not going to fly off the handle. I'm just going to stop and translate until she starts spouting off in Russian. Then you know she's really mad, right? But we've been kind of learning and growing together over the course of the last week. And I can't imagine what the next several years hold for us as a family. But I had a really interesting thing take place the other night that challenged me, um, as I attempted to challenge her, she and I uh, had to stop by Walmart on the way back from a Hornets basketball game. And so we stopped by uh, Walmart on Independence Boulevard uh, up in Charlotte. And we stopped at like 1130 at night. We were picking up something for my wife. And um, we walked in and just trying to keep her like with me and focused in the middle of kind of chaos. For the record, every, it was the night before Valentine's Day. Um, so I was there with all the other last-minute men <laughs> that had not thought clearly about the fact that the next day was Valentine's Day. And so we were all there, and it was kind of chaotic at this Walmart and busy. And I'm just trying to keep, like, just stay with me. Please don't let—I don't want to lose you in Walmart. And um, we got what we needed. We checked out, and we're on our way to the door. And again, it's just kind of chaotic, and so it's difficult for me to keep tabs on exactly where— is she right beside me? Is she right behind me? And I get ready to turn to walk out the door of Walmart, and I look, and she's not anywhere around. And I'm like, how did I lose her from the checkout counter to the door? Like this. So I turn around and I walk back around the corner, and I see her, and she's digging in her pockets. And I said, what are you doing? She said, one second, one second. And so she's digging in her pockets, and she's standing right in front of the clear barrel that has a little sliver in the, the top for you to put money in. And it's the Ronald McDonald House charity, right, bucket. And there's all this change, and there's a few dollar bills in there. Well, she walked by, and she saw the dollar bills. And she assumed, oh, this is where you put money to help other people. She didn't know what. She couldn't read it, but this is just what you, this is how you help other people, right? Somebody uh, the previous Sunday had given her a welcome gift to come to the United States, and had given her a $50 bill, a $50 bill. And she hadn't done anything with it up to this point. And she was digging in her pockets and she was looking for her $50 bill. And she finally found it. It wasn't in any of her pockets. It was in her shoe. So she reached in. She got, she got this $50 bill folded up. And she went to go put it in the Ronald McDonald thing. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. I said, that's $50. And she said, What? And I said, it's big. It's a lot. This little, big. And she's like, oh, it's okay. And she went to put it in. I said, no, 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 no. For real, it's not okay. 
Like if you're going to give away $50, give Ronald McDonald one, give me 49. Like don't, don't put a $50 bill in there. Um, and, and I, I finally kind of drug her away from the Ronald McDonald container and so I, that I could have a conversation with her. And through translator, we began to talk back and forth. And she said something to me because I was trying to teach her to be careful with her money and not to just give away all her money right away because if she gives away all her money right away, then she won't be able to do other things with her money later. And I even tried to explain it to her. Like, if you want to give all your money away, that's great. But you want to be able to give it to things that are important to you, things that you know about, things that you believe in. And so don't give it all away to something you don't understand. Like, like maybe give a little bit here and then give, be able to give more away to other things. And I tried to explain that to her. And as I'm trying to explain it, I'm thinking, you sound like such a jerk right now. <laughs> like, you're trying to talk your teenage daughter out of being generous. Um, and then I, tr- I tried to make it, you know, se- seem like hey, there's other ways that you can be generous. And so we got through this whole ordeal. And she said something to me. And I don't know that I'll ever forget this. It's fresh on my mind now. Maybe I, it'll, it'll wear thin down the road. But right now, it's really, really prevalent. She said, Daddy. I don't want to take. I've already been given enough. Everything I have, I want to give. And that stuck with me. Now, for the record, we took her to the shoe store the next day, and that all changed. All changed. She's still just as carnal as the rest of us, right? But in that moment, she made a statement to me that I've already been given enough. Everything I have, I want to give away. I thought, man, that's the attitude and the heart that Jesus wants for his people. We've already been given salvation. We've already been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Our role, our responsibility, our life now is 100% about what we can do for other people. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been saved to bring salvation. We've been rescued to be rescuers. And so often when we talk about this new us, it's all about us. I want to grow more. I want to go deeper. I want to learn more. I want to have this. I want to receive God's blessings. I, 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 me, me, me. And even the good stuff. We've talked about a lot of that good stuff. Even the good stuff, it's been about us, focused on us. And God's going, you know how I shape you? You know how I transform you? It's when you stop focusing on you. Because before I rescued you, before I redeemed you, do you know who you were all about? And if once I save you, rescue you, and redeem you, you're still all about you. Nothing's changed. I want you to become something totally new. And that new creation is outwardly focused. I am saved. I am rescued. I am redeemed through Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. Even in the middle of my own mess, I may be a a widow. I may be preparing my last meal. I may be suffering. 
but I am going to think about and pursue serving the needs of others because it's when I begin to pursue the needs of others and serving the needs of others and loving others and focusing on others that God begins focusing on me. God begins transforming me. God begins shaping me. And I don't want to miss out on the miracle that God has for me because I wasn't willing to be the person that he called me to be in the lives of others. I don't want to miss out on the bottomless oil or the unlimited bread because I was too focused on me. Somebody answer it. Make sure you say hello. Here's the deal. Answer it quick. Here's what I want you guys to know and what I want you to walk away with today. I want you to walk away having asked this question. In what area of my life do I need to get outside myself? In what area of my life do I need to stop focusing on me? In what area of my life have I made it all about me and I've excused it saying, no, it's about the Lord in me, when truly the Lord in you isn't about you at all. It's about others. In what area of your life do you need to be removed from the equation? Do you need to get outside of yourself? And do you need to focus on who it is that God is calling you to minister to? Who it is that God is calling you to love? Who it is that God is calling you to serve? Because maybe in so doing, in that one area where you get outside of yourself and serve somebody else, maybe, just maybe, God wants to use that one instance to unlock and do something in you. But he can't do it till you take the focus off of you and focus on somebody else. I'll close with this. All of this, every last bit of it, is us following Jesus. Because Jesus lived this first. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came and could have built a kingdom, but instead he died on a cross. And he did it for you and he did it for me. He did it so that he could, he could rescue and redeem us. And in so doing, God raised him up to the highest of places. God glorified himself through his son, but he did it when his son wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through his son, the world might be saved. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you can't even fathom living your life for somebody else because you've never experienced what it's like for somebody to to live their life for you. You can't fathom sacrificing for somebody else because you've never experienced someone sacrificing for you. And maybe today, before you leave this place, you need to accept what Jesus has done on your behalf. You need to accept the sacrifice that he's made on your behalf. You need to say, yeah, this is hard for me. This is difficult for me. I couldn't fathom living this way because I've never experienced it. I want to live sacrificially for other people, but I need to accept what Jesus has done sacrificially for me first. I need to be created in God's handiwork through Christ Jesus for good works. And if you're here today, we don't want you to leave this place until you accept what Jesus has done on your behalf. You can tell him that right here, right now in the quietness and stillness of this room. Just in your own chair, right where you're at. In your heart, you can just say, God, I'm accepting what it is that your son did for me. 
I'm tired of living life for me and still feeling unfulfilled. I want purpose. I want meaning. I want hope. And today I recognize that it's because of what Jesus did that I can experience that hope. You can tell him that right now. Ask him to forgive you for trying to live life by your own standards. And ask him to help you walk in newness of life. Before you leave this place today, if you did that just now in this moment, would you do us a favor? Would you tell us about it? Very simple way for you to make that happen. Stop by our resource center before you leave here today and say, hey, I just need to grab one of these cards. I just need to stop by and tell somebody, I started a relationship with God today. Maybe you don't have a Bible and you've been thinking, I need to stop by and pick up a Bible. Maybe while you're picking up that Bible, you could let somebody know, hey, I started a relationship with God today. I accepted what Jesus did on the cross on my behalf today. And if you say, well, Robbie, I'm in a hurry. I don't have time to stop by the resource center. I don't have time to wait in line. Again, grab something in the seat back pocket in front of you. We just want to know about it. You can grab one of the connection cards or grab an offering envelope or grab something and just let us know. I started a relationship with God today and drop it in one of the black boxes on the way out. We just want to know about it so that we can come alongside you. We can support you and we can pray for you. The greatest decision you will ever make is to begin living the way that you were always created to live. And that is in God's handiwork through Christ Jesus for good works in this world. If you've never started to live that way, today can be the day and we want to rejoice with you. Father, we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your graciousness and your mercy in our life. We thank you for your hope and your healing that you provide every single one of us. We ask that as we leave this place today, that we will be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, that we would be moved, moved with such conviction that you would work through us. We love you and we thank you for being who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.